When looking at fundamentals, we think it's important for investors to think about policy, the economy, rates, and profits. And I think if you factor in all those things and are able to address all of them, whether an advisor is talking to a client in a 30-second elevator conversation, you and I are on financial media, or if we're doing a two-hour seminar, we can go as deep and as broad as we need to. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to LPL Live, live from Focus. As always, I'm joined by my good friend and esteemed colleague, Ryan Dietrich. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, John. Honored to be here with 7,000 of our closest friends 7, at LPL Focus and then also here at LPL Live. It's a great way to communicate with our advisors and friends. This is it's going to be a fun 30 minutes, John. And beautiful San Diego. You and I stepped off the plane this weekend and there was no humidity. We don't uh, know how to react. It was like 66 degrees walk around yesterday, given it's always 100 down in Charlotte where we are. It was almost cold. Absolutely, absolutely. Need a cardigan. Also want to emphasize and congratulate you and thank our partners in marketing and communications. This is our one-year anniversary mm. from the LPL Market Signals podcast. We started it a year ago in Boston, albeit on a less grandiose stage. Great job the team put together for this San Diego Conference Center, but uh, very excited. One year, it's been a lot of fun, hasn't it? It has been. Like you said, it was a little smaller last year. We didn't have this beautiful stage with all these lights, and I heard people literally cheering when we started. When That's we right, record yeah. this, usually we don't have that. But it's just so exciting, and the growth that we've had with the podcast, just walking around talking to advisors. They really like it. I'm going to jinx it. Right now, I'm going to jinx it. But on iTunes, we have 20, 29 five-star ratings. Nothing other than five-star right? ratings. So people really like it. A lot of positive reviews, and you keep listening to it. We will keep doing this podcast. Yeah, very pleased. It's a rewarding aspect of our job. We love sharing. We want to make sure the complexities of the challenging market environment that we're able to deliver in an understandable and uh, less complex way for our advisors to help make great investment decisions on the behalf of their clients. So now that we're at Focus, beautiful San Diego, the great convention center, our teams have worked so hard. What is your favorite part of Focus? John, it's probably similar to yours. It's getting to meet our advisors. Last night when we left the convention hall going to my hotel, I ran into, I know they're out there somewhere, John and Blake, just two advisors I really look up to and we have great partnerships. You feel like you know them from Twitter and social media and they see you and I doing this. Then you get to connect with them face to face. You talk for 30 minutes and it's just, it's so awesome to kind of really put the face with the name and, and that's by far, I mean, there's lots of good parts, right? But that is my favorite part at the end of the day. It can be humbling for me because every time I see somebody, they say, I thought you were taller. So uh, that, that's, the yes. unfortunate part, but nonetheless, nonetheless, it's great connecting with everybody. The podcast has really reached out to an awful lot of people, and I find that very rewarding aspect of what we do, right? Because again, a challenging environment, don't mean to be dismissive of any of the risks out there, but to the degree that we can endeavor to provide our advisors and clients with the economic analysis, the investment strategy, and the portfolio management to help them achieve their clients' long-term goals, that's really really what we do. So. Yeah, and just to add to that real quickly, you know, why do we start a podcast? Because the LPL advisors wanted it. You know, you do weekly that's commentaries, right. quarterly commentaries, do some videos. They said, hey guys, make a podcast. LPL was the first broker dealer to create a podcast. Right. I know other podcast, other guys are following, following, but LPL kind of broke that door down. And we made a podcast first and it's our one year anniversary. And that's what's really cool about our firm, right? We listened to our advisors and we acted on that. Uh, this is not the machine saying, here's how it's going to be. So that's another right. rewarding aspect of what we do and obviously connecting with everybody. But let's see, it's a pretty challenging market environment, Ryan. You know, last week was unbelievable. Uh, I guess we woke up last Monday morning. We were down about 700, recovered maybe 300 on Tuesday. While we're eating our Wheaties right. Wednesday morning, the yield curve inverted. It inverted what? One one thousandth of a point. Right. But it sure made all some it, great headlines. And by the time we were done eating our Wheaties, we were essentially 
having a steeper yield curve again. I guess it happened again overnight briefly Thursday morning, but now we're seeing, uh, we saw some good feedback Friday, right? Because on Friday we had several reports come out. Uh, the president said he was going to meet or talk with President Xi. We had Ali Ren from the ECB discuss an opportunity that the European Central Bank would be more aggressive than the market was anticipating uh, at their September meeting. Right. We also received news that Germany, in and of itself, was going to have a government spending program, and the People's Bank of China eased lending standards yet again. So those were four powerful things, and the market, I guess we were down 3% through Thursday night. We recovered maybe 1.5% um, Friday day. No, you're right, and obviously Monday morning, kind of that, a continuation in the bounce. But what also happened last week? The, the news was very scary. Germany is a negative GDP print. Yeah. China had some poor productivity numbers, the lowest UK. couple UK issues, Brexit continued concern. So the global slowdown is real. The good news, though, here in the US, the retail sales are good. The consumer seems to still be good. And let's be honest, John, this was the best. Why be start honest now? Why start now? We're, we're being recorded. That's why I'm being honest okay. now. Okay. But, um, when you think about it, this was the best start for stocks since 1997, looking at the S&P 500. Now we're down three weeks in a row. S&P pulled back, give or take, about 6% before the little bounce the last two days. Trees don't grow forever. Bull markets don't go forever. On this very podcast for about two months now, we've been talking about the potential for the volatility in the third quarter. August is the worst month historically the last 10 years. You get these big drops in August. Mm -hmm. We've had one. It kind of makes sense. Maybe there could be a little more weakness here, but, you know, hey, a pullback makes sense after a 20% start to the year, right? Yeah, and I think that's a good point, you know, to the, to the degree that what we do is humbling, right, mm -hmm. forecasting the markets. Um, September and, and August tend to be the tough yep. months. Uh, we've had this, you talked about retail sales, we've really had this dichotomy uh, of data, mm -hmm. slowing global economic data, but our U.S. consumer continues to be the engine of growth. We saw very strong retail sales last week. We've seen uh, weekly jobless claims at 60-year lows. Uh, we see wages rising about 3%. Really hard to have recession when you have a fully employed consumer where wages are rising at a rate that is supportive to consumption, but not at a rate that is threatening to monetary policymakers, right? Typically, wages have to grow about 4% before the Fed slams on the brakes. Uh, we're not at that point yet, so we're kind of in this window in spite of all these other dynamics swirling around us. So what do you say we provide some clarity for our investors? Uh, we have had to tweak forecasts. It's out in our weekly market commentary this week that is already out. We've tweaked forecasts on uh, GDP, interest rates, and corporate profits, all still growing, but slowing. Right. And we just wanted to make sure we uh, address all that. But I think, as we always like to talk about, uh, when looking at fundamentals, we think it's important for investors to think about policy, the economy, rates, and profits. And I think if you factor in all those things and are able to address all of them, whether an advisor is talking to a client in a 30-second elevator conversation, uh, if you and I are on financial media, or if we're doing a two-hour seminar, you know, we can go as deep and as broad as we need to. But let's, let's talk about policy. Obviously, trade is the uncertainty that is causing all of this. Mm -hmm. Well, it is. I mean, you talk about trade. We thought in May we were almost close to a trade resolution 80% of the way 80%, yeah. give or take. And then, obviously, it fell apart. And that led to the big sell-off and weakness in emerging markets. You know, China's data continues to be weak, like we just said. But, you know, overall, John, our big stance has been there's so much for each side to lose. You know, we still think there can be a potential resolution, or as you've coined it, a path to resolution as it relates to trade. 
And I mean, what do you think? Will we get a resolution before 2019 is done? You know, I don't know about 2019. Right. I do think that, uh, you know, we have a couple of dynamics going on. Some political, some nonsensical, right. but some really tragic if you think about what's happening in Hong Kong, right? Yeah. So even though President Xi basically experienced deity status a couple of years ago, yeah. he's under pressure right yes, now. Uh, our president has a job interview next year, right? So they're, they're, they, they both are in a position, uh, Chinese stock market performing worse than the domestic stock market, right? So they're both in a position where they need to deal, but I'm not convinced you're going to see anything in 2019. I do think by this, hopefully by the first quarter of 2020, because our president wants the economy humming in second quarter and third quarter, so, so voters feel good going to the polls. So we will get a deal, but I'm not convinced it's going to be 2019. Yeah, John, you know, you talk about policy, and this is a little bit on economy, but you look back at history, the third year of the presidential cycle, stocks tend to do pretty well because right. they're kind of seeing an uptick in the economy, and the economy tends to do well in election year. It's not about Democrat. It's not about Republican. Yep. It is because you're trying to get reelected. So can we have a recession next year, an election year? Sure, anything's possible. Yeah. But history would say it's probably not likely, and if we get it, I know we're going to talk about the Fed soon, mm -hmm. a couple more rate cuts, maybe a resolution with trade, that can extend the business cycle, get that confidence back, and that can keep things going That's in 2020. Right. And it's really, you know, when we talk about policy, I think it's important to have this distinction between fiscal policy and monetary policy. Now, fiscal policy is government, right? And when government has basically four levers with which they can pull uh, to get the economy going again, taxes, check, regulation, check, government spending, check. Unfortunately, despite those three tailwinds, the headwind is trade. And businesses are unwilling to invest in their future because they're not sure where those production, what that supply chain is going to be until we get clarity on trade. And that's what's really so right. kind of troubling about the current environment because businesses have 100% immediate expensing provisions right now. Mm -hmm. And in the first half of 2018, businesses were spending wildly. And that's why in the first quarter of 2019, and really even last week when we saw second quarter productivity, right. we've seen good productivity numbers because that's, if you will, the peace dividend from that capital investment. But in the second half of 18, capital expenditures dropped like a rock. So we're likely going to see disappointing productivity data in the third and fourth quarter of this year. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the dynamic. Uh, consequently, now that we can't count on fiscal policy to lead, Roll back the story. Right. We're back to central bank policy. Yeah, so that's the Fed. So clearly, I mean, just look at the 30-year yield last week, John. Mm. Broke 2%, lowest ever. Yep. Now, the yield curve, like you hinted at earlier, had two very brief inversions. Now, by yield curve, this is the two-year, 10-year spread, kind of the benchmark yield curve, as we've talked many times. The shorter end of the yield curve has been inverted for a while now, whereas the longer end of the yield curve has been fairly steep. But that belly of the curve, the 210, did invert. So let's talk about the yield curve. What do you think? Sure. I mean, this is, we have had few things, I think, that have been more well put out there, telegraphed, telegraphed than the yield curve being inverted. And the bottom line, John, yes, nine of the last nine recessions took place right after between nine months to 15, 16 months after the yield curve inverted. Now, there's, there's no such thing as average. I like to use this joke. If you have the statistician, he puts his head in the fire right. and his feet in the ice, ice bucket. They say, how do you feel? He goes, well, on average, 
You feel pretty good. Pretty good, right? How's this thing on average, John? 21 months after the yield curve inverts is when we've seen recessions on average. And the S&P does what? Stocks go up over 20%. One year later, up 14%. Better than the average return. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that you don't always hear with the media. That's with LPL market signals. We try to break it down. And yes, it is absolutely concerning what the yield curve is doing. But facts say maybe this cycle can go. And in the mid-90s, we had a yield curve inversion. Lasted for years, and stocks did really well. Gained 40%, actually, right. after the yield curve inverted. So why do you think the yield curve inverted? Is the rest of the globe pushing us lower, or what's going on there? Well, we don't think the yield curve is inverted because it being the traditional signal of an uh, imminent recession. What we've found is that M2, the leading gauge of liquidity, if you will, in the overall economy is growing at, what, a 4 or 5% on yep. a year-over-year -year basis. We think there's a relative valuation dynamic going on whereby we are less absurdly priced than the rest of the world. Right. So global investors can go after, say, the Japanese government bond at, what, negative 20 basis points, yeah. or the German bond yielding maybe negative 75 basis points this morning. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or you can buy the 10-year treasury at 165. They're in every time, right? So I think that dynamic is going on, one, relative valuation. Secondly, I think it's terribly important for investors to appreciate the fact that rates are declining in a flattening curve. It's not like the Federal Reserve is jacking up the short end of the curve and then the long end is responding where you slide into recession that way. Um, we have, you know, geeky thing we like to look at is five-year, five-year forwards, right. you know, break-even rates, if you will, to see what the market, market signals are suggesting relative to future inflationary expectations. And the fact that market interest rates are declining faster than five-year break-evens is suggestive of a very healthy liquidity environment. So if you have full employment and a healthy liquidity environment, we think the dynamic is otherwise than has previously been experienced with flattening yield curves. Now, we're going to have recession someday, right? We always do. Um, but it's conceivable this next recession is of the, let's call it the self-fulfilling variety, whereby this election campaign is going to suck the life out of every one of us. And uh, consequently, it's conceivable that the consumer and businesses just say, I'm out, right. fourth quarter 2020, first quarter 2021. Now, the headlines will suggest we're at 2000 or 2008, 2009 again, but we don't have the leverage in the system that we had then, right? So it's right. conceivable we have two consecutive quarters of fractional declines just as people wait and see to see what happens with the current administration keeping or a new administration entering the White House. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right, John. Building on that, look at what's happened for the last 10 years. Yes, the longest economic cycle of growth in our country's history. But when you look back at history, multiple developed countries all over Europe and China have had 15, 16-year cycles without a recession. You know how long it's been since Australia had a recession? Yeah, decades. 27 years. Mm -hmm. So when you're a developed country, you can go longer without a recession. This, 10 years, yes, we're going to have a recession eventually, but we're barely printing 3% GDP growth, right? We were 5 6% before previous times. So that's like, you know, the ball up here. I can do this because we're getting filmed, right? Ball up here and you drop it. There's further to go. The economy's right. not really ripping higher here, so we'll have a recession, but it's not as far for it to go. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, you don't want to be dismissive of economic fears, but looking at the broad-based fundamental package, yeah. an analogy I heard recently was, if you're growing at 2% and you go into recession, it's like stepping off a curb. Hmm. You know, and I, I think that's something we need to keep in mind now. Heaven forbid a massive geopolitical event were to occur, we can't put that on an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, but nonetheless, looking at all the fundamental data 
and just kind of looking at the environment, right? I mean, we are hair trigger sell-offs on the market. And I just think that is a, we're at a sensitivity factor right now that, you know, quite frankly, makes it different this time. You know, right. the one sentence you're not supposed to say as an investor, but... Or most dangerous words. When the Federal Reserve, the ECB, and uh, the Bank of Japan have artificially suppressed interest rates, they've quintupled the size of their balance sheets like we've shared on many sure. market signals podcasts previously, it alters the dynamic. So from a policy standpoint, before we get to the economy, we've been counting on fiscal, now we're counting on monetary to lead us through because the curve is clearly telling monetary officials rates are too tight for the trade uncertainty. Wow. Let's take it to the economy. We are reducing estimates for GDP. We are looking at the economy growing at 2% this year, uh, real GDP growth. We kind of telegraphed this in the, in the mid-year outlook yep. when we said, without clarity on trade, it could be a 50 basis point hit to overall GDP. And we do not have clarity on trade, so we're taking down the GDP forecast. Oh, you're right, John. So really, if people want more information on this, our weekly market commentary, we summarize some of the things we're talking about right now. And you can access that right on LPL.com. But, you know, the one thing I like to talk about when I talk about the economy and what the Fed's up to, yes, the yield curve, the economy's weakening. Look at credit markets. If, and keep it simple. The smartest guys in the room are the bond market. The credit markets, John, if you look at spreads with investment-grade corporates, high-yield spreads, again, not getting too geeky, they're not stressed out. You right. see the credit markets freak out, for lack of a better word, ahead of recessions. We've seen that in history. Right. Spreads are pretty much average right here. So, yes, this 6% pullback's been scary. Maybe we get more of a pullback in the tricky September-October months. So we're quickly and actively watching those spreads, which as of now are not showing signs of major stress. And I, I think that that's a great point. I'm glad you brought well, that up. Well, thank you. Because it's, uh, it's about time. It's been a year. Uh, well, so we've been on doing this for I'm, I'm 19 minutes. I finally said one. something so, good. Yeah. Um, but when we talked about the liquidity environment, mm -hmm. when we talked about break-even or market expectations for future inflation risks, and then finally the absence of credit spreads on the mm -hmm. investment grade or high yield sectors, they're not blowing out. As you said, they're average, average levels right now. So consequently, even though rates are grabbing all the headlines, there is no credit stress in the markets right now. Right. So I think that is another reason which would suggest that one one thousandth one one thousandth of a basis point pullback on the inversion last week might have just been that a headline and we need to be mindful of the risk certainly. But looking at the economy, we're about two percent growth this year. We're we're introducing a preliminary forecast of one point seven five percent, one and three quarters percent uh, next year, again, we're in next year's, what, 11 year of the economic cycle. Yep. At some point, we have to tire out. Maybe the election is that reason to do that. Uh, hard to fundamentally justify any other reason at this point. The firm pays us to worry. We're sleeping great when we think about the inflation risk, right? Yes. And we have a fully employed consumer. So we have a lot of things going on in our favor. We just have to be mindful of that. So what does that mean for the fixed income markets? Well, before I do that, maybe I'll talk about sleeping great. But I didn't sleep so well last night. My daughter, Susanna, started middle school today. Oh, my goodness. So she gets a little shout out here. She'll like that. But middle school, sixth grader. How, so, I mean, you, what was it like when your daughter was in my, sixth grade? My, da for me, my daughter starts graduate school today. Oh, my goodness. Today. It's also today. today oh, my that's goodness. Right. We're going to tear up right. up here. Yeah, absolutely. Talking like my this. little baby girl. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, but yes, all the best to Susanna. She's going to leave a little girl. She's going to come at, leave, enter high school as a woman. So you know, just enjoy, enjoy the time. Yep. Uh, be patient, and uh, that's no, hard sometimes. No, <laughs> no which battles to fight. Yeah, there are many Makes times sense. you're living in South Carolina. You can say, "I do not have to die on this hill today." That's right.
So I'd encourage you to do that. So uh, yeah, from an economic standpoint, again, 2% this year, one three quarter percent next year. Global economy growing in that three, three and a half percent pace over these next couple of years. Yeah. But from the fixed income markets, we've obviously talked about the curve. We, we don't see the stress in the credit market, but again, taking down the 10-year uh, yield forecast to 2% this year and call it 175 to 2% this year, because yep. uh, we like to talk in ranges, right? We'd rather be vaguely correct than precisely there wrong. There was. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then uh, next year on the 10-year Treasury, look at 2 to 2 and a quarter percent. And really what's driving that is I think the market is telling us that the Fed is going to, if you want to think about the yield curve as a tale of two curves, right? The market is telling us that the, what the Fed needs to do on the short end, but on the longer end, the market is beginning to tell us that once they accomplish this, they will accomplish this, and it will be successful to the degree that that curve steepens, which would signify future demand growth, future inflationary pressures, and consequently a steeper curve point in a future growth. Yeah, you mentioned the word inflation. We did have CPI last week, came in a little hotter than expected, up 2.2% year over year, so maybe inflation's coming in. But I want to talk about the 10-year yield for a second, John. At the start of the year, Bloomberg had a poll. 61 out of 62 economists said the 10-year yield would be higher by the end of June. For what it's worth, we were in that camp too. Right. When everyone's on one side of the boat, you can have a surprising move. I said before, Yes, stocks up 20% for the year. That's a surprise. I think the bigger surprise is the massive move lower in yields when everyone was on the other side. Now, where are we now? Look right, at sentiment right. now. I'm getting multiple questions. Can the 10-year yield really go negative? You, you know, that's the questions are right. asking us now. It sure feels like we're the other side. So it doesn't mean we're right out of low. But boy, oh boy, everyone's on one side of the boat now looking for yields to continue to go lower. Right. Sentiment can change price. And sure enough, that's where we are. So... It makes sense that we get a little bit of a bounce here in yields. I mean, it's been the best year for the Barclays Ag in, in over a couple decades, right? So bonds have been great this year, too. So you know, maybe a little a break. month ago, today is what, August 19th, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. A month ago, when the, or three weeks ago, when the S&P 500 hit a record level, what, 3,030, mm -hmm. the S&P was up, what, 14 or 15%. Gold was up 14 or 15%. Yeah. And investment-grade bonds were up 14 or 15%. You and I get paid to worry, as we said, right? How can stocks, bonds, and gold all be going up? You know, either you're going to die or you're not. Something should right. be, you know, altering performance on one of these. One other way to look at that, and we've talked about this before, last year, stocks and bonds are both down for the first time since 1969. Gold also did poorly. So just about any well-diversified asset or well-diversified portfolio last year, mm -hmm. you really didn't do well because everything was down. This year, fortunately... We've definitely seen seen things. A I remember bit that 1969. I was I was gonna make a joke. Seven years you old. Turn 21, right? I was seven years old. I was looking at my charts. Okay. The Mets won the World Series. The Knicks won the NBA championship, and stocks and bonds were down. How could that be? I, we've never talked about this. So the Mets in '69. Nolan Ryan. A, a, a rumor has it my father named me after Nolan Ryan. My brother's name is Aaron. Named him after Hank Aaron. I, oh, I my believe goodness. he told the truth. But um, anyway, so I'm, I always loved Nolan Ryan. I That's good. Nickel when he was at the Astros, going to a Reds games in Cincinnati, we went right, right down there watching him throw those hundred mile hour fastballs. Those are cool memory. But Nolan Ryan's always been my guy. Gary Kuzman, Tom Seaver. It's on the Nolan rookie card, Ryan. Nolan Ryan Kuzman that on that rookie card. I've got some of them. lineup ever. Yeah. But uh, this is the market signals yeah, podcast, sorry. not ESPN, I right? Know. Right. Okay, so uh, looking time. at 175 to 2% on the 10 year this year, 2 to 2 and a quarter next year. Let's bring it down to profits and wrap this thing up. Yes. Uh, corporate profits, uh, great indicator of future business spending plans. Unfortunately, given the, the weight of the uncertainty on trade, uh, we have to take down profits. We're looking at $165 in operating earnings. Our good friend and colleague, Jeff Bookbinder, has worked out there somewhere very aggressively on these numbers for us. Looking at my there man is. right now. 
looking at those numbers, you know, our team worked very, very hard on this because it's hard to cut estimates. We were below Wall Street estimates when we came out with our 2019 forecasts. Right. But given all that uncertainty, business have pulled back on spending, and that's affected the profit picture. But a lot of the work we've done has shown that because the Fed is going to is projected to cut at least two more times, that has beneficial impact to market multiples, the P.E. ratio. So we believe that as the Fed cuts rate, the P.E. can escalate. So we're going to look at 18, 18 and a quarter type P.E. on 165. So we're still fairly valued this year at 3,000 on the S&P 500. Oh, great points there. You know, earnings season is wrapping up. Second quarter earnings season is wrapping up. We're looking at about down 1% year over year which is still about two percentage points better than expected. That's the game, right? You get the cuts, the numbers come in a little bit better than expected. Potentially the third quarter might be negative, but yeah. we should see a little bit of a pop in the fourth quarter. So you might have heard talk about an earnings recession, which you can't minimize that. But again, when I, I love to look at market sentiment, various sentiment polls keeping this simple. For instance, the AAII poll recently had the most American bears. American Association of Individual Investors. Yes, recently had the most bears we've seen since December of 18 and then February of 16. Those were two major times markets were low. So sometimes when things get low, that bar is lowered. I can't jump as high as I used to, but if the bar is low, we can get over that bar. Right. And that can be maybe something we continue to see during this most hateable market in history. So you're saying Air Dietrich can't jump as high as you used to? Not as, no, the short answer is no. You own the paint, brother. <laughs> uh, right. But looking at profits, again, the, the whole idea of the year-over-year -year decline, uh, profits recession, let's have perspective. Right. Profits blew out last year, so it's just so difficult to have that year-over-year -year comparison. Mm -hmm. And as Bookie has mentioned many times, we're looking at typically the beat on profits about three or 400 basis points. So even if they're projected to be down for this quarter, one or 2%, right. conceivable you see a 2% gain. Now I know we're splitting hairs, 2% is not 20%, but nonetheless, it is in the positive direction. And looking at next year, we are conservative yet again on our forecasts. We're looking at operating earnings, a preliminary number of $175. The street is at 183, 184. So right. we're $8 or $9 below the street. The street estimate from a bottom-up standpoint is historically cut by what, 10%? Yes, they're, they eyeball it. A little too much optimism. Right. So we're, we're nine, $8 or $9 below the street. But again, looking at $175 in operating earnings for next year, preliminary estimate there. 18, 18 and a quarter PE on a trailing basis. And we don't think we're swinging for the fences there in an environment where inflation is 2% or less. Mm -hmm. So consequently, 18, 18 and a quarter PE on a trailing basis, we think the market next year will be fairly valued in that 3150 to 3200 range. One thing we could probably guarantee on market signals is that be it will not be a straight line. Yes. So I think we can get away with that one. Just looking at handful of percentage point return opportunity. That's why it's going to be so important to emphasize the tactical changes that we'll be making so you can kind of, you know, look for opportunity relative to interest rates and inflation, you know, barbelling sector strategies going forward, which we'll be making those calls over the next handful of months. We only got a couple minutes left, Ryan. We covered economy, policy, rates, and profits. Fair value, 3000 this year, upwards of 3200 next year. Any closing thoughts? Well, I guess there's always different ways to look at things. Here's one way to look at it. The S&P 500, John, was around 2850 in January of 2018. Yeah. Fast forward to where we are now, we're right around there. So one could argue, yes, 
Stocks are up a lot this year. We had a big fourth quarter drop, but really we've just kind of been consolidating, biting time as the trade discussions continue, the glowing, glowing slowdown. It just makes sense that we need clarity on trade. We need clarity with the Fed before maybe we can have that next resolve higher. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because a major point we have to get across is that, you know, at 2850, if you look at the year-over-year -year performance, we always talk year-to-date, but if right. you look at the year-over-year year performance in the market, it's up 2 or 3%. Exactly. But the uh, defensive sectors have led, whether it's real estate, communication services, uh, consumer staples, and utilities, they're up 15 16% over the past 12 months. So that is not a significant optimistic boost for the market if you have that defensive type leadership. So when we hit 3,000 on our fair, t fair value target in July, a lot of advisors called us and said, okay, you did what you said it was going to do, now what? Right. I said, now the hard work begins because we need to get clarity on trade, clarity on the Fed, and then we believe you're going to see that sort of cyclical leadership take us to 3,000 again, and I believe that would legitimize or substantiate fair value at 3000 by year end. John, I see we've got about 25 Just seconds. I'll time. wrap it up. Thank you very much. Please follow us on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, LPL Market Signals. John, take it away. Had a lot of fun up Happy here. Happy anniversary, Live. Ryan. Very excited to be up here with you. Really appreciate the support of all our advisors. Thank you, everyone. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, Please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.